The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at www.upc.org forward slash university. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Janie. I'm one of the people on staff here. And we want to say a big in welcome to many of our deputies that are back here for the first time tonight. Which is very exciting. So um, catch up with some of them after the end tonight. Ask about their experience wherever they were. For those of you that don't know, deputation is our summer mission experience. Eight weeks somewhere around the world. Um, And when it comes to movies, I'm a big movie fan myself. I always like to ask people this question for you to think about. What is the movie that you love? And if you're talking to someone about it, someone that you might not know that well, and their response about this movie is, oh, man, yeah, I hated that movie. The thought in your head is, we will never be friends. <laughs> I have a couple of those movies where if someone else doesn't like it, I'm like, we're, we're not going to get along. That's just the way that it is. I am a big movie buff, or I see I Heart movies. I'm making T-shirts, if you guys want, a copy of Janie Hart's movies, T-shirts. I know, it'd be awesome. Or should I say I'm a film buff? That makes it sound a little more refined. Um... I really like to watch movies. I watch most of what comes out in theaters, at least on DVD, because, like I said, I love movies. I like to go to the theater, but there's one big problem. There's one big problem with seeing movies in the theater, and that is other people. (laughs) Is this an issue for anyone else? People talking during a movie, talking on their phone to another person, or texting or something like that? There are very few things in life they get me upset. You can talk to anyone who knows me. I, I just don't get upset about much. Even traffic doesn't really bother me that much, you know, like whatever. But can someone please tell me why some people can't keep their comments to themselves in the movie theater? It's just, I just don't get it. I don't mind if people are responding to what's on the screen, like if they're laughing or they're screaming or you're yelling at somebody, don't open that door, ah, you know. But I mean actually narrating what's going on on the screen, kind of telling the events that we're all watching. I was at this movie with Becky a a little while ago, and this person in the movie was putting a gun gun away in a gun cabinet. And the person behind us goes, oh, he's putting the gun away. (laughs) I remember turning around being like, are you on the phone telling someone else what's happening in the movie? Like, why are you narrating? Or people who read what's on the screen... Or my favorite is people who figure out the twist and they just can't help themselves. They have to tell you what it is during the movie. Like, oh, that guy's Kaiser Soze. That's him. Or, oh, he's dreaming right now. Okay, thanks. We all know that you're the smartest person in the theater. (laughs) But the reason I get fired up is because I love movies. I really do. I love that they provide an (laughs) escape. Yeah, it's true. They provide an escape from my life. For a couple of hours, um, I can see things through someone else's eyes from their perspectives. I even like movies when I hate them. I like them. I like movies when I disagree with their message or the main character, or they're too preachy or they're too cheesy. I still tend to like them. Have you ever had the experience that you're so invested in the story of a movie that when it ends, you're kind of like, "Oh, where am I? Like, what? What? What day is it? Where am I?" Or you'll walk out of the theater and the sun's shining. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm not ready for reality at this point in my life. And maybe that's just me. But I think there's a lot of reasons I love movies. I learn a lot about the world. 
I learn a lot about history, about the way people act, about the way I act. And often when I see movies, I see things um, that actually reflect my faith. I can see visual examples of what I've been learning about God, what I'm learning about myself, about myself and God. So for the past three weeks, we've been doing this little mini-series at the end about movies. And ways that things from our everyday culture, like movies, can really speak to us about spiritual themes. Or they can get our heads spinning about our faith in some way, even if that wasn't the intention of the movie at all. And one of the main reasons I think movies can teach us is because movies are stories. And stories, that's really the currency we have with which we connect to other people. That's what we have to share with other people. And sometimes they'll tell us things that are universal about life or love or loss. And they'll tell us things that we maybe hadn't noticed before. The stories in movies, I think, sometimes have the power to change our perspective, to communicate a truth. They have the power to reveal something we've never noticed before. And they have the power to redeem something that we might have struggled with. And really our point in trying to do this these past four weeks including today, is that we want to show you how your faith is so much more than just going to church, reading the Bible, listening to sermons. Granted, those things are important for growing in your faith, but we can learn so much more about God if we keep our eyes and our ears open to how we can see God and learn in our faith outside of of these things that are stereotypical for our faith growth. So, we are going to talk about a movie tonight. Um... Yes, I know. We're actually going to look at an animated movie. I'm assuming most people here have seen the movie Up. Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Okay, good. Most people have seen it. You can't pass up Pixar films, right? If you don't like Pixar, then your heart is made of stone. I think that's pretty generally accepted. I mean, I even loved this movie, and I don't, I don't like sappy stuff. I don't tend to really like happy endings. I don't like the super cheesy stuff. I've only cried in one movie ever in my life. I know. I, I clearly have a heart of stone, so um, I'll tell you later. But anyways, <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't this one. Um, but this is a great movie. I actually really liked it. Um, even though I didn't cry. But to start with, I'm going to show you an opening scene that sets the stage for the movie. Um, our main character, Carl Fredrickson, the, this is at the beginning, and he um, meets this girl, Ellie, who's going to eventually become his wife, but they just met, and she comes over to his house. So here's the clip. So as you can see from this clip, Paradise Falls is a, plays a significant role in the relationship that they have. In fact, right after this, we see a montage of their life together. They get married, and they live a life together, and um, they experience all the trials and tribulations of life, and they always dreamed, but they never went to this waterfall. It always kind of got pushed on the back burner, and um, they even had a, a jar that they would collect money in and attempt to get to Paradise Falls. They never got there. They grew older, and eventually Ellie passes away. That's at the very beginning of the movie, so I'm not, like, no spoilers. I mean, the story really gets going right there um, at that point. And we see Carl is kind of a bitter old man. He's by himself. He doesn't really have any relationships. And all he has left of his wife is this house that they fixed up and lived in together. And he's determined to finally take his wife on the adventure he promised and he turns his house into a flying vessel. 
and they go to South America. Another great, to Paradise Falls. Another great thing about movies is implausibility. I think the laws of physics and air pressure might have made it difficult to get a house with helium balloons to South America. Um, but that's, you know, the beauty of movies. Um, so anyways, what we learn about Carl throughout this movie is that he's really determined to get his, his wife there, to get to this waterfall. All his life he's been living for this future possibility of arriving at this waterfall, this expectation of that he promised to Ellie, that he crossed his heart. And honestly, Carl seems to feel like a failure, that he hasn't done it up to this point. He hasn't got her to the waterfall. And so when he finally does, he feels like, okay, so my future plans have come to fruition. And he refused, he refused to give up on what his plans were. In a way, Carl was kind of living his life for expectations of what was going to happen in the future. Instead of living his life each day. So looking forward to the future... Making plans for big adventures. Living for expectations. Are those themes that resonate with any of you? I would assume so. College is the time when that's really kind of what's happening. A common conversation I have with college students is, what am I going to do with the future? What am I supposed to do with my life? Who am I supposed to be? Sometimes I'll ask back, what do you want to do? And the answer is usually something like, well... I don't know, I don't, I don't really have it figured out yet, but I just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of wait until I get it figured out. Once I do that, then I'm going to really start living. I'm going to really start engaging, discovering what my life looks like. I know when I was in college, this was a common, a common theme for me, something that it was a regular journal entry where I, where I would say, I feel like I'm waiting to start my life. I'm not quite there yet. I'm still waiting to figure out what I'm going to do. Once I graduate from college, once I find a job, once I get married, once I buy a house, then my life will get started. But right now, I'm more kind of in a holding pattern. And I used to think that all the time. I used to have these conversations with God. Actually, they were more like monologues with God, where I would say, okay, these are the expectations I have for my life, and once these happen, then I'll get started. Then I'll start my life. So I could really relate to Carl in this whole idea of future expectations, of what was going to happen. I was all about expectations when I was in college. I needed to figure out what my Paradise Falls was. But until I figured out what that was, and I didn't really know what it was I needed to do. And in my head, life hadn't really started yet. I hadn't really lived into what God wanted for me until I figured out what my Paradise Falls was. Until then still kind of expecting what was next. Well, I'm going to tell you guys a little bit, a little secret, okay? This is just between me and you guys and the internets where this is going to be. But my secret is that that sense of waiting to start your life, of waiting to see what's going to happen next, that never really goes away. I still have that voice in the back of my head that's like, okay, when this next thing happens, then then my life will be started. And I'm over 30. And I have that conversation, I mean, I'm old, right? I have that conversation with people who, are, who have done these milestones, right? They've gotten married, they started a family, bought a house. Same thing. Yeah, I'm still kind of waiting for these things to happen, and then I'll get started. It always reminds me of the movie Wayne's World, which is exactly like Up. It's totally the same. 
Okay, it's not anything like it. But it's a great movie. It's really funny. Although when I watch it now, it's very dated. Whoa, I am old. But anyways, there's this moment in the movie where Wayne is pining after the Stratocaster guitar. Um, see here, he's bowing before this guitar that he really he wants. And his friend Garth yells. He, he yells to Wayne. He says, it'll never be yours, man. Live in the now. And I have to remind myself of that all the time. Live in the now, Jamie. Your life is today. God's will for you is to live into today. There's nothing that has to happen for your life to start, to truly discover who God has created you to be. You don't have to do this amazing adventure in order for God to really be at work. Because that is today. Now this problem that Carl had and that I think that I have, and it's pretty universal, this idea of this trouble of living in the now. And I think it's something that all people have had, not just in the modern era. In Scripture, I think it was a huge issue for the Israelites all throughout the Old Testament. They are crying out to God with their expectations. We don't like to live the way things look now. God, we want things to look differently. We want, actually, things to look this certain way. Once they look this certain way, then we'll be able to live our lives. Because what we got going on right now, this is not working. And often the message that God brought back to the Israelites through the prophets sounded a lot like Garth. Maybe Garth was a prophet. Live in the now. One of those prophets was Jeremiah. He's one of my favorite people in scripture. And um, the situation of what's going on in Jeremiah is it's about 600 B.C. And the Babylonian Empire is massive and huge and taking over. And um, they were... They came to Judah, where all of the Israelites lived, and they took over the country. And what the Babylonians would do in order to build up their empire is they would take the best and the brightest from whoever they conquered and bring them back to Babylon. So the Israelites that were in Jerusalem, they had to walk all the way to Babylon and were taken into exile. But there were some people that were left behind in Jerusalem, and Jeremiah was one of those people. And he wrote letters to the people in exile. And one of those letters is found in Jeremiah chapter 29. And it's written not that long after the exile. Um, Now those taken into exile were expecting a couple things. Either God's abandoned us, so we should just give up. That was one expectation. Another expectation was um, if we cry out to God, he's going to come in and rescue us immediately and take us back to Jerusalem where we can be God's people. That's where we need to be. But this is what Jeremiah wrote. Chapter 29, starting in verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. 
Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So this is the message that they get. And they were focused on what was going to happen in the future. Either they were going to give up, God was going to abandon them, or God was going to come in and take them out. And they were going to bide their time, twiddle their thumbs, not really live their lives, just try and stay away from the Babylonians as much as they could. And then God would bring them back to where they could be God's people. But this letter that Jeremiah writes to them, their expectations have waited out. Just think about the future. They're not going to fly. That's not what they hear at all. Instead, what does Jeremiah tell them? He says, build buildings, plant plants, marry, have children, have your children get married and have children, settle down, seek the good of these Babylonians in this place that you're living. That sounds an awful lot like live in the now, live life to the fullest today. This message isn't save your best for the future. Just hold off, hold off, keep your expectations in check when those are fulfilled Then you can live your life. What Jeremiah is communicating is God loves you today. God wants you to live your life today. Not to wait till the future, but live into the truth that that God is with you, whatever your circumstances look like. So in this movie, uh, Carl thought he had failed Ellie because they had never actually gone to Paradise Falls. His expectations were all about what's going to happen in the future. And he considered himself a failure because he hadn't done what they were expecting to do together. So we're going to take a look at what happens after Carl gets to Paradise Falls. He reaches Paradise Falls and he gets the house there. Um, And right after he gets that, he goes into the house um, and he's kind of looking at what is around the house and he finds Ellie's adventure book and he looks past the page that says... Stuff we're going to do. So we see from this adventure book, oh, I get a little misty in here. Woo, okay. <laughs> Ellie didn't let herself be sidetracked by the expectations she had for the future. Instead, she changed them. She changed them so they would reflect how she was living her life today, to the adventure she was having with Carl. It wasn't about Paradise Falls and the future promises it held. It was actually about every day that they had together. By looking at what Ellie did in her life and the changes she made, Carl's reminded that it's actually every day he lived his life that was an amazing journey. It wasn't about this big expectation of Paradise Falls in the future. It was what he had every day with Ellie. She didn't have expectations about amazing future. It was their lives together. One of my favorite lines in the movie is from a character, Russell, who's this little kid, if you haven't seen it, and he ends up going to South America with Carl. It's this whole thing. But anyways, (laughs) Russell says, he's explaining his life to Carl, and he says, it might sound really boring, but it's the boring stuff I remember the most. Now, such a profound way to say, It's about the way we live our lives every day. Not about these huge adventures in the future. 
What these exiled Israelites are hearing in this letter is something similar. You don't have to wait to discover all of your expectations to be in line for you to actually live your lives and be my people, be God's people. God loves you today. God has plans for your lives to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. And so what God wants you to do is build buildings, plant plants, have a family, live your life. Seek the good of the people around you, even the people that are your enemies. God wants you to live your life today, every day. So what does this mean for us in 2010? Obviously, we're not people taken from our homes into exile hundreds of miles away. But are we people who are expecting God to do something before we're going to do anything? Are we people who have a bunch of expectations in mind? Things that we think we have to get accomplished before we can really accomplish anything? Before we can really invest in our relationship with God? Because in the future, I'm going to have so much more time to be in a small group. Are we people who wait to discover who God has created us to be? Now, don't get me wrong, one of the things I love most about working with college students is that they love to dream. They love to dream dreams, dream big. What are things I can do to actually change the world? That's still awesome. But I think so often we get lost in what those things are, that we lose sight of what's right in front of us. Like I said, a common conversation that I have and everybody else on staff has with students is, What is God's will for my life? And maybe even more commonly, how do I figure out what God's will is for my life? Maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe what we should be asking is, what is God's will for my life for today? What can I do to discover who God has created me to be today? One of my favorite things about my deputation experience, having these deputies here, reminds me of it. I went to Romania, I lived in an orphanage, and every day when I got up, I only had one question. What do I have to do today? What is God's will for us right now, for you, right now? I don't think the answer is that much different than it was over 2,000 years ago. God's letter might say, live in the now, man. But I think he wants us to know that he loves us. That his truth is for us. And that we should build buildings, build relationships. That we should live our lives. We should seek the good of people around us. And we should know the truth that we can pray to our God because our God has plans to prosper us and not to harm us. Plans to give us hope and the future. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that the only thing you expect of us, the only expectations you have for us, is that we would seek to follow you today. God, I pray that your kingdom will be present to us right here, right now, in everything that we do and say, God, make yourself real so that we can know that we are living into who you have created us to be every day. In your holy name, amen.